You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts, literally, to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. From Nice Guy Productions' world headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley, I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. It takes a village to make a movie. It takes a metropolis to make a horror movie. In addition to the usual cast and crew, there's an important element in our genre that is not so important in more mainstream fare, the makeup effects department. Whether it's the making of monsters or the rending of bodies in gruesome ways, the brilliant artists who create those effects are the rock stars of horror cinema. Imagine what the Frankenstein monster might have been without Jack Pierce. Imagine Friday the 13th without Tom Savini. How about The Thing without Rob Bottin? Is it a world you'd want to live in? These creators make life out of foam latex, silicone, and body paint. They are the Doctor's Frankenstein of the silver screen. They are fine artists, cultured sculptors, and wildly imaginative designers. They make it real with their hands, not on computer screens. The great artistry that goes into digital effects is massive and worthy of its own salute. But today, we are here to celebrate those great soldiers of the makeup kit whose creations fulfill the visions of the writers and directors and even take them one step beyond. It's amazing that there was no regular Makeup Academy Award until 1981, but gratifying that it was given to Rick Baker for his groundbreaking work on An American Werewolf in London. I've worked with a lot of brilliant makeup effects artists over the years, but none as often as with Howard Berger, the Oscar and Emmy-winning B of KNB EFX. We'll get into the great and twisted mind behind the monsters after this. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been 40 years now, and Fangoria is better than ever, each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Head to Fangoria.com to learn more and to, well, subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code POSTMORTEM to save 15% off your subscription. That's Fangoria.com, promo code POSTMORTEM to save 15%. Well, since our guest is an Academy Award-winning makeup artist, it's only appropriate that we should talk about Cinema Makeup School. Hollywood's professional makeup school, Cinema Makeup School, prepares the next generation of makeup artists in the full scope of the makeup industry, from beauty and special makeup effects to creature design and 3D printing. From our individual courses, programs, and comprehensive tracks, you can build a path that suits your individual career goals, with industry professionals guiding you every step of the way. What path will you choose? Sign up today at www.cinemamakeup.com. That's www.cinemamakeup.com. Friend of the podcast, Alex Aja, has a new movie out this week on VOD and Blu-ray, The Alligator Thriller with Serious Bite, Crawl. And our friends at Paramount Home Video have given you the chance to win a free copy of the movie on Blu-ray, plus one grand prize winner will be going home with a fun Crawl survival pack, too. Can't wait to see that unpacking video. All you have to do is visit us on Twitter or Instagram at MickGarrisPM and find the post featuring the Crawl Survival Pack and answer the following question. What was the movie this week's guest, Howard Berger, and I most recently collaborated on? You'll find the answer within this episode. We'll pick winners from the correct answers at random, so swim like hell over to our social media to enter. Good luck. You 
you and I are native Angelinos, which is incredibly rare in mm -hmm. this town. And you hail from Burbank. Tell me about that Burbank childhood and how it turned you into this monster kid. Well, it's actually I was from uh, really Northridge, Chatsworth and Northridge, but my but my dad, who was in the industry, had his studio in in Burbank. So I spent a lot of my childhood in Burbank, right. um, downtown beautiful Burbank, per Gary Owens, <laughs> yes. and. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I it was it was great. I grew up in I was born in uh, in Burbank at, at right across from Disney at uh, at St. Joseph's. Yeah, yeah. St. Joseph's, like yeah, St. John's we? for me in Santa John's. Monica. Okay, yeah. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, being from L.A., it's it's a it's a rarity. You know, right. I, I always find it's funny when people are like, oh, people in L.A. are kind of assholes. I'm like, no, no, no. Let me correct that. People that are born here are not. No. But then we get the transplants and it's like sometimes it's kind of questionable. You know, they think yeah. they have to be a certain act a certain way. But yeah. anyhow, my dad was a sound, a post-production sound editor and mixer and he loved movies and that got me into the love of movies what were some of the movies that your dad worked he, on he first started off he had the abc account ah. so he he actually did all the abc stuff he worked with ernie anderson right um, you know who was the voice of abc like next on the love boat right you know and right. that's how i met paul thomas anderson because we were ah. kids and my, and well, i would go to work with my dad on saturdays and paul would come with ernie and they would record, and then Paul and I knew each other as kids, and and who I just ran into at Brent's Deli uh, really? the other day at breakfast. I sat down and had breakfast with Paul, okay. and um, but he did the whole ABC account, did all the animation stuff. So I have video of that I had shot when I was younger of my dad recording like Super Friends, and you had Adam West, and you had you know um, all these great voiceovers, David Lerner and and June Foray, and everyone sitting in the circle and doing episodes you know so it was always magical for me right and 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 he my dad mostly did television and then he started to segue into doing feature films did a lot of trailer stuff and then did a lot of animation stuff with don bluth hmm. um and um and that was really cool did a lot of stuff for disney studios but i always my heart always gravitated to monsters and really yeah, yeah well my dad introduced me to, I think to well to the classic monsters the first horror movie I ever saw was the two-headed transplant with, oh wow with Ray, Ray yeah. Moland and Rosie and, and, Greer right. yeah and Rick Baker is the gorilla and so that really I didn't realize yeah that, that. two-headed gorilla in the beginning of the really? film is I, Rick Baker I didn't realize that which by the way that building the that was shot it was it's on the corner of Kawanga and Fountain so every okay. time I still drive by it, I'm like, that's where they shot Do It or Transplant with Rick Baker. So, How great Yeah, is it was that? super cool. So at that point, I started to kind of formulate that, like, there's monsters in movies, so somebody must make them. Like, my dad handles sound work, and I've been on sets before, and I know there's different facets, but there's got to be someone that makes monsters for movies. And I became all obsessed with the classic Universal monsters, of course, mm. especially Creature in the Black Lagoon. And then I discovered Godzilla through the Aurora model kits. Right, and that was like, I mean, out of my mind when I first saw the Aurora. I did that kits. too. I got those. I I actually got a plaque, a Master Monster Maker plaque <laughs> from Famous Monsters magazine oh, for their cool. customizing kits back when oh, I was. Yeah, a I mean, little those are the one. bomb. Those are that, and that really, I'm like, you know, to be able to hold the King Kong model, yeah. which of course in in a kid's hands is gigantic you know right. nowadays it's you know I have giant Shrek hands, so it doesn't <laughs> you know it's not as big, but. uh that is really what got me all going. And I'm like, there must be a way to do it. And I just drew, I kept drawing monsters and my mom was an artist. And um, about eight years old, I went to, uh, do you remember Doug Wright? Doug Wright yes, uh, conventions, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. I went to his, one of his conventions down at the Marriott at, by LAX. He put on these big science fiction conventions. Right, big science fiction. The... It was mostly geared for Star Trek. Yes. Was the big thing I recall. And um, so I went there with my, my dad and there were um, there was a guy named Rick Baker who was there promoting a movie called uh, The Incredible Melting Man. Right. And so I sat in on the panel, and then that's it. Game game over. Like right. I knew exactly what I was going to do. And that was directed by Bill Sachs. Right. Right. Yeah. right. It's a great film. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, it's fun. It's it really is fun. what the title delivers. Yes, it is. It's <laughs> yes, yes, totally, uh, exactly what it delivers. The guy melts. Yeah. But <laughs> but it was a great convention. I remember because it was also. Yeah, Rick was there promoting that. That was yeah. the first time they kind of used a makeup artist's name to promote a movie. Yeah, which Rick was really Baker. cool. Yeah. And he was just like this up-and-coming guy. I didn't know him from Adam, but I remember I waited in line. I actually went there to go see Ray Harryhausen because Ray was there, 
um, and he was signing his book from the land beyond beyond. Yeah. yeah. And I had my paperback copy and, and, uh, waited in line forever to get him to autograph it. And then I saw like, Oh, there's this makeup guy and went over there and I kept going back to the Doug Wright conventions every year. And, um, there was one in, in, uh, 70, 76 and they had a presentation of this movie coming out called star wars right and so i remember charlie lippincott yeah. must have been doing it that was yeah it was amazing yeah. and they had everybody there i mean yeah. lucas the cast i remember they had the darth vader mask there and the chewbacca head and but nobody knew what it was and i picked up like this little this little pamphlet they had which i still have and then in the next room was rick baker again talking about star wars and king kong Right, and at that point, Kong had come out, and everybody was up in arms with you know. The right, how dare they yeah. put a guy in a suit? Exactly, yeah. exactly. How dare they just ruin the original film? You know, but I, I like that version. I I still dig that yeah. King Kong version. Um, so that's where it all clicked, and then I I found that uh, Stan Winston had a studio literally two miles up the road off Tampa, Tampa and and, and Parthenia, and I lived off of Tampa and Superior. So I packed up a box of stuff. I walked two miles. And knocked on his door, and he opened it. This guy opened it, and and it was Stan. And I uh, introduced myself, and I said, I have a box of photos. And I was probably 12 years old. And he let me come in. And at the time, he was working on Something Wicked This Way Comes. Oh, wow. So wow. in the shop was Mike McCracken Sr., Jim Cagle, James Cummins, Lance Anderson, and Stan. And they were all sculpting uh, the Jonathan Price heads. Wow. And it was amazing. I mean, a 12-year-old kid walking in and like, oh my God. And there was this beautiful shop and there's all this stuff and the smell of Roma clay and from rubber and plaster. And I had already started playing around with stuff. And that was the start of like my education with Stan, who was always very, very kind to me. uh, And always, um, you know, he always welcomed me in to the shop. and, And I'd always bring new things over and always check it out. And then... You know, it was. I, you know, that was probably the one of the great things about growing up here is I had access to my idols, right? You know, right. And so I could go stalk Stan. I could, you know, <laughs> and I stalked Rick Baker forever. Like I couldn't, I I couldn't figure out how to find Rick Baker. And I remember one day I saw an incredible um, shrinking woman, uh, and okay. I noticed that Rick's name is Richard A. Baker. And I went okay because I couldn't find Rick Baker in the phone book, uh-huh. but I found Richard A. Baker in the phone book, uh-huh. and I called. And his then wife Elaine right. answered the phone, and and uh, you know I'm like, hi, my name's Howard Berger, and I'm a big fan, and I'd love to talk to Rick Baker. And she's like, well, he's not here right now, so I called every night for six months. Wow, every night, bugged the shit out of him until she said, okay, you're serious about back before Rick Baker. there was a word called stalking. <laughs> yeah, before yeah. stalking, yes, yeah. and <laughs> obsessive uh, fan, yeah. you know. And she finally gave me Rick's shop number, uh, which was the one on Witsit. Right, right, and I uh, called. I could barely breathe. Rick answered, and you know I was hyperventilating on the other line, which I still kind of do when I talk to Rick because I get all nervous. And <laughs> I know after all these years, and he invited me over, and I went to visit him. I, I was 15 years old. My mom dropped me off on the corner, and I spent the day at, at Rick's, and he was working on Videodrome at the time. Mm. So Steve Johnson was there, and Kevin Brennan, and Sean McEnroe, and Tom And I Hester, shot the and... making of Videodrome. Oh, well, there you go. Documentary. Yeah, yeah. I was, that was the one day you weren't there, I guess. So, <laughs> I didn't, 15-year-old I wasn't there kid day. wandering yeah. around, like, oh my God, this is so amazing. I'm going to work with that 15-year-old yeah, kid someday. one day. Yeah, yeah, little do I know. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was great. I mean, I was very lucky, and then I got to meet Dick Smith, you know, writing Dick Smith as a kid, and Dick Who was really kind of changed the, the entire oh, face of makeup effects yeah. with The Exorcist and the things that were done that had never been done before, bladders and mm-hmm. the like. So how did you learn about this? Was it Famous Monsters still being published at that yeah. time? Or, uh, or uh, because there was no internet. No, of course not. It was, it was Famous Monsters. But Famous Monsters never gave you like the lowdown on what was going on. Right. There, there were photos and I would, you know, with a magnifying glass, look at the photos of what John Chambers was doing or right. Tommy Berman. And, you know, I'm like, I, I'm trying to figure this out, you know. But maybe Cine Fantastique. Cine Fantastique, but Fango had just come out. Ah, okay. So that was 79 is yeah. when so Fango, so Fango just started yeah. to come out. And, and that, that reveled in the makers. Oh, my God. Of well, that one, the one issue, uh, the first one I bought was Baker's Half Dozen, which was oh, the yeah. article. And then that was it. Again, hooked, you know, yeah. for the rest of my life. And, and um, you know, I found that that really was a great resource. And then with Gorezone and all that, although Gorezone came out much, much later, we already were in business, I think, when Gorezone came out. But right. 
Um, but you know, cine, be it Cinemagic, be it Cinefax, be it Cinefantastic, all those magazines were, you know, I mean, just monstrous resources as a kid. So to speak. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's so what were the movies that entranced you first as a kid? I think as far as makeup goes, Planet of the Apes. Really? Like I saw Planet, yeah. my dad took me to see Planet of the Apes and I'm like. That's 68, I yeah. think. Yeah. And I'm like, that's it. So I was, I was born, yeah, 68. So I was about five years old. Wow. And saw Planet of the Apes and I'm like, holy shit, this is amazing. And I try, I couldn't, I was trying to figure out like, you know, I know it's makeup, but. But it sure looks real. It sure looks real, yeah. man. It still does. Still excellent, I think. And and then of course all the classic monster stuff, all the universal stuff like Frankenstein was huge. Yeah, Creature from the Black Lagoon, my my all time favorite, and still yeah. is. What an amazing design, and how great oh, that great. all the information about how that creature mm-hmm. came to be is just coming out. I know it's true. Know? It's a beautiful design. I think that's the perfect suit. Still is like yeah. we, no one's ever done better than Creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, even the sequels. <laughs> yeah, no, even the sequels. I mean, it pale, they pale in comparison, yeah. I think. Um, it's brilliant design it and is. execution. It's beautiful. It's yeah. a beautiful piece, especially those close-ups and the gills are moving as the yeah. mouth. I mean, come on. I mean, that's amazing stuff. And that's 19, what, 54, yeah. I think, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's so contemporary. It is. It's as good as anything. Well, look I, at The I, Shape I, of Water. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love the creature. To me, it's, yeah. there's no, it's perfect. You yeah. know, there's no buckles, there's no wrinkles, you know, it's great. And I did uh, these series of films in Florida called Dolphin Tail, built these mechanical tails, but uh, Rico Browning Jr. was the stunt Really? Who so, had played the original Yeah, well, his creature. father did. His yeah, father, his father did. Yeah. right, yeah. And I kept saying, bring your dad to set, come yeah. on, I'm just you got to bring him to set. So he never came to visit, but one day Rico Jr. came back from uh, the weekend, and Rico Sr. had signed all these autographs uh, for us, and it wow. was really, really great, but... Um, so growing yeah. up with a dad who was in the business and mm-hmm. a mother who was an artist, you had no limitations. I had no limitations. So yeah. you you just went for what you loved mm-hmm. because you thought it was actually possible to do. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that it wasn't. You know exactly. And I tell people this now: I never had a plan B. I only have a plan A because if I have a plan B, then that means I I can fail or it or if I feel like oh it's too hard. I'll have something to fall back on. I never, ever, my entire life had a plan B. Right. And and because of that, it, it forced me to succeed in what I wanted to do, you know? Now, what was the first movie you worked on? Was it Trancers? Uh, no, first film, gosh, let's see. Well, when I graduated high school, I, I actually got a job for a little bit at John Beekler's. John oh, Beekler's. really? Yeah. Okay. The... And he was doing a Ronnie James Dio video called Last in Line. Right. And I worked on and John that. recently passed. Uh, yeah, John it's passed a, this year, sad. a couple months yeah. ago. And yeah, it's really bizarre. That's a whole other weird thing, you know, when you, your friends, you know, start to go. Like, I, we were ta- I was talking about Toby Hooper, not to switch gears. I was talking right. about Toby today because in the sculpture shop at K&B, they run movies all day long, and we were watching ah. Salem's Lot. Oh, and I'm how like, great! See, I said, see, this proves Toby Hooper is a genius in my book. You know, yeah. it's like the and we were just watching this the reverse shot of the kid coming in, oh, floating outside the window. That yeah. that horrified me when I saw it, and it still horrifies me. Yeah. But to know Toby was to love Toby. Oh God, yeah, he was the greatest. Yeah. He was the greatest. So, but yeah, so I uh, I worked, worked at John Beekler's for a little yeah. bit, and then I ended up. Going, uh, I got hired at Stan Winston's because Stan always promised, you know, when you graduate high school, I'll hire you. So I went over to Stan's and I worked on uh, Aliens and Invaders from Mars wow. for the first bit, which was amazing to me. Wow! And then so you yeah. go from Cameron to uh, oh yeah, it was to crazy. <laughs> Toby. Yeah. Well, it was. It was. Yeah. It was and yeah. wildly imaginative. Well, uh, wildly, stuff. and yeah. but and but totally like we built the stuff. I was involved with building stuff at Stan's, like mostly in the mold shop on on uh, Aliens, and that all went to London. And then we went to set. We built and went to set for Toby's thing, and that was shooting down in San Pedro. Oh, wow. In the, in the, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. But um, And then I finished that job, and then I went to Rick Baker's and worked on Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, wow. Okay. And then I... An Amblin movie, yeah. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I always wanted to work for Rick, and I just, I'm still such a huge fan. Uh, I'm trying to think in between there. I think... Oh, no, in between there, I think I worked at... I think I worked... No, I did. I'm sorry. I worked at Mark Showstrom's in between, and we did Evil Dead 2. Oh, how great. So sometimes I forget the timeline. It's all based on... Well, I know that Sam was very early part of your career that that played a huge role in your career to follow. Yes. Yeah, and it's... We were real lucky. I mean, you know, Evil Dead 2 was Mark Showstrom. Mark Showstrom 
that was his show. He was the department head, makeup effects department head. And it's and, an astonishing movie. It's There's pretty cool. There's so much stuff in there without much budget. Oh, yeah. I don't even know what... I mean, I just... We were all making nothing. So when we worked for Mark, and, and it was myself and Greg Nicotero and Bob Kurtzman and Shannon Shea and Aaron Sims. Um, and, uh, yeah, we just worked and worked and worked and had a blast. And Mark was a really fun guy to work for. And then we went to North Carolina, had a blast. And I think... Um, you know, when, when another project came up for Sam, he's like, well, you know, I really dealt with Howard, Greg, and Bob. And, you know, Mark, Mark was there, but these guys were always there. And, and um, you know, and he gave us an opportunity, like, hey, I'm going to do this movie, Army of Darkness. What do you think? You know, and same with Robert. The Ta- third Rob, chapter. Yeah, yeah. And, Bob, and Rob Tappert called us, too. And he's like, we really want you guys to be on the show. And that's Rob where we, being Sam's producer. Yeah, sorry, Sam's yeah. producer, yeah. a lifetime friend. And, like, they grew up next door to each other. It right. was like it was like Bruce Campbell, Rob Tappert, the Cohen brothers, Sam Raimi. They all lived on the pretty same amazing. block. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Pretty well, amazing. Well, it's a pretty talented block. So, but, um, yeah, just one thing led to another and after another. And, and uh you know, had a long history with Sam and, and and Joel or Ethan Cohen was first assistant director on Evil Dead too, right? I th- uh, or Evil no, Dead. No, no, I think on Evil Dead. Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah. they weren't involved with Evil Dead too. Yeah, but the first um, one. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of crossover because, like John Cameron, who grew up with all of them, who was ta- Sam's AD in all his backyard movies that he did at his mom's house, it was uh, first AD on Army of Darkness. And now John is a huge producer uh-huh. and, and uh, works with the Coen brothers, and he produces um, the Fargo TV show, and he produced right. uh, the Legion TV show and, and directing. And, and uh, So, yeah, it's all interesting. That whole, that whole neighborhood just became these amazing guys. But I remember Sam telling me a story. I, we worked on Quick and the Dead. And Which I have a cameo in. Do you? Yeah. What scene? I hang Gary Sinise. After oh, I, in the flat, Sam yeah. has a cameo in the stand uh-huh. as well as in The Shining. Right. And after that, he hired Gary Sinise for the Quick and the Dead. Right. And I am uh, Gene Hackman's henchman oh, with a long mustache yeah, yeah. and a ten-gallon hat, and I hoot and holler while we, while we hang Gary you hang Sinise. Hang him, string him up. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But, but it was an interesting show because I had just finished. A movie called Wide Earp, and I had a really, really bad experience oh, on really? it. Really horrible experience. And that was a huge studio. Movie yeah, it was too. huge. And yeah. and what we built was just I had nothing but trouble on the show. And so I was real. I really felt like I fell off the horse. And I'm like, I can't. I don't want to go to set. I'm really nervous. And after six months, I just Sam called. He's like, Listen, I'm doing this movie, Quick and the Dead. I really want you to come out for it. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready to. Like I felt shell shocked. And he's like, Just come on out. And so I did, and I went by myself, and I handled everything myself, and I got back on the horse. And I know Sam had a really, really hard time on that show. He really had really a tough hard. time. And I it, was there when, yeah. with Hackman and, and uh, Sharon Stone both yeah. giving him I shit. know. And it's like, you know how Sam is. He's like this nice... He's a sweetheart. Yeah, he's like, okay, yeah. buddy. Yeah, no, it's all good. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, he, was, he really got beat up, and he fell off the horse, and he was afraid to do stuff. And then Joel and Ethan brought him in to do second unit on Hutsucker. Oh. And gave him a lot of the scenes with Paul Newman oh, I to help in, re, raise his um, his confidence, his confidence back, yeah. and then he was yeah. good. But it's so wow. interesting to see how those guys all help each other and involved, and it all intertwines. You know, it's it's really it's such a good, healthy way to follow. You know, like and 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 uh, so, but yeah, one thing after another after another, and of course, you know, I in that mix, I whoops, in that mix, I went to Pittsburgh. And worked on this little movie called Day of the Dead. Yeah. I was 18 and met wow. Greg Nicotero, who's been my lifelong friend. And, and, and partner. And partner. Is that where KNB. KNB was formed? Well, not there. I mean, we came back. It was back... you and Bob Kurtzman and Greg. Right. Bo- yeah. yeah. Bob Kurtzman, myself, and Greg started in, 19... in February of 1988. Uh-huh. But we, um, and, and Evil, De- or I'm sorry, uh, Day of the Dead was 84. Mm-hmm. And I had just finished. Dan O'Bannon's Return of the Living Dead. Right, And right. then I got hired to go do Day of the Dead. And, um, yeah, and it was great. I mean, it was the first location job I'd ever been on. Again, I was 18 years old, and to me, that was like my college. And it's a legend. You're working with George Romero. Yeah, it was amazing. The guy who created the entire mm-hmm. zombie mythos. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and to be on set, yeah, with George and with Savini. Right. You know, it was great. And these great guys, Johnny Volich, who's passed away, unfortunately, and Dave Kinlan and Mike Tursick and um, uh, Michael Deke and all these guys. And we just, we were all kids. Yeah. And just, we worked for like $200 a week flat. Mm. 
And we didn't know. It was fine. You know, yeah, we were working six yeah. days a week, you know. So tell me what it was like working with George and, and the ideas he would throw you and how he would expect them to be fulfilled. In that well, it was, I mean, he never, I mean, he dealt with us, but it was really Savini. I mean, Savini right. was the, the yeah. master. Tom and, was the guy and you were the workhorses. Yeah, we were the workhorses, yeah. you know. And, and at that point, Greg was Tom's assistant. So he, he was really wrangling Tom and making sure Tom had what he needed. And then Greg got a part in the movie and because uh-huh. he's such a handsome young lad. And, uh, <laughs> and um uh, but it was interesting to see how it all worked out. I mean, I wasn't there for any of the prep. I wish I was. Mm-hmm. All the prep happened at Tom's house. Um, but I came in for all the shooting, you know, and it was just cool to see how everything was, was being developed, how George was, how he wanted to see things. Of course, everything was going to be practical, but that was our only option back then. Right. You couldn't like, do anything else. Yeah, it was like, oh, we'll do this digital or we'll do digital blood, you yeah. know. So one thing I always noticed is, that Tom is, he truly is a master of illusion, you know, mm. you know, and, and so it's like a magician doing he tricks. Is. He is it's a magician. Sleight of hand. Absolutely. It's all sleight of hand. That's the whole thing with Savini. And every gag he did worked beautifully. Like I was really amazed because I'm always apprehensive about gags, like gags being shot in the head or blood spray or whatever. I mean, I got over that after Kill Bill. I'm like, yeah, okay. I, I got gags covered. But, um, but it was really cool to see every the, the way Tom thought about how he was going to do everything. John Volich really art directed everything. Like all, he had sculpted, I'd say ninety percent of the makeups. So he would do design sketches. And, um, and by the time I got things. there, everything was done. I so think. I think he sketched everything out on clay, uh-huh. and and he was a really like clean, symmetrical artist. Like all the makeups were really, really symmetrical and beautiful, and. and um, and he set up the, the color palette and it just everything. It was all like just follow John's lead. So, But through the course of shooting, I mean, there was always tons of gags to build. And right. it was nonstop. We were always busy. If we weren't doing 30 makeups in the morning, we were building a crush head or a this or a that, you know, or a severed head that can have articulation. So it, it was cool. But that was really my, my first like real job, I Your felt. Baptism by fire. It really was. Yeah. It really was. And, and like I said, there I met Greg and Greg was gonna stay and go back to med school and I said dude let's get out of here like you gotta come to LA I'm telling you you gotta meet my friend Bob Kurtzman moved to Los Angeles and and he ended up doing that and and uh, we we rented a house in uh, Reseda uh-huh. and it was a dump and but we the three <laughs> of us lived there and it, the rent was cheap and we had a little shop in the back and and after time we decided that we wanted to start K&B but I was over at Kevin Yeager's I'd just had done child's play and a bunch of other stuff. And I was on nightmare four doing Freddie and Bob and Greg were at Mark Showstrom's doing uh, phantasm two and deep star six. Wow. And one night we met for dinner and I said, guys, I have this idea. Why don't we stop working for people and let's start our own company. And they agreed because we were working in supervisory positions. We weren't making any money. We weren't getting any credit. We were, right. but we were running the shows, right? You know, real, right. I mean like deep in and, um, and then we just took we took a chance, and at that time, Scotty Spiegel, who co-wrote Evil Dead Two with Sam, right, called and said, "Hey, I'm doing this movie called Intruder, and has no money. Can you recommend some young guys?" And Greg's like, uh, "Yeah, us." <laughs> it's like, "Well, I have like seven hundred dollars," and Greg's like, "We'll take it." So that was the first KNB. Yeah, was was Intruder, yeah. and and we took it for seven hundred dollars. But we said we want to have a, a front card that's a special makeup effects by Kurtzman Nicotero Berger EFX Group. And they agreed. And that's, and you know, getting a front card is yes. virtually impossible. Yes. But we traded that for $700. <laughs> yeah. And, and it worked out great. And, uh, and then the ball started rolling. We started to do all these low budget horror films like Night Angel and a bunch of crazy things. And people would turn to you because you could deliver quality mm-hmm. for less than anybody else. Oh, le- yeah, way yeah. less. <laughs> yeah. You, know? but, you lose money on Yeah, we were, but we, did, we didn't know. I mean, we we're yeah. like, no, this is good. You know, we're supposed yeah. to lose money for five years. You know, we're starting a business. Yeah. And we had a teeny little shop. It was 800 square foot. And, um, you know, people thought we were going to fail. Everyone thought it was, oh, those guys will be out of business. They'll be yeah. back working here at the shop. And, and we never did. We, you know, 31 years, rounding 32 years, we've had K&B. And although Bob Kurtzman left about 16 years ago, I think. So yeah, it's just been it Greg could be and NB, but... Uh... It could be. We just, just well, it went from Kurtzman, Nicotero, Burger to K&B. Right. And and then it, that way we didn't have to change anything. And yeah, it was just K&B easier. EFX. Yeah, K&B EFX. So. Yeah. But it was great. I mean, you know, it's been really nice. I mean, Greg's a great guy. 
Yeah. You know, I lucked out having Greg Nicotero as a well, business partner and a friend. Your best friend and yeah. and your business partner is and pretty amazing. It is amazing. And it, and it's like we're bro- we're brothers because there's yeah. times where we get along like we're in love and then there's times where we're annoyed with each other, you know? <laughs> yes. But it's there's always like It's a marriage. It yeah. is. And and I always say, you know, like I've like I'll say like I'm so pissed with Greg or whatever. He'll say that I'm so pissed with Howard or whatever. But if somebody said, "Oh, I'm pissed with Greg," I'll I'll kill him in a second. I'm like, you have yeah. you back off, you know? Yeah. Don't say a bad word about my best friend. <laughs> so, um, you know, I can say it, but you can't. Uh, but it's been great. I mean, and and now to see how you know K and B's evolved and where it's at, it's just it's it's way beyond what I ever dreamed it would be as a kid. Well, it has expanded into something amazing not just as a business or the size of it mm-hmm. but oscars and emmys too i know it's crazy so you and fango awards and fango <laughs> awards and that. saturn okay, awards have, we yeah. won the very first fango award nice i still have it nice. which movie it, it's uh i think it was uh, uh i think it was army of darkness ah yeah perfect yeah it's a block of wood and there's a uh, uh, like a, a resin a chain, chainsaw over there resin. award. On well, the, that's that's another. That's we a later version. Yeah. No, we had the first one, which was like it was made by a guy named Bill Hunt. Yeah, who was on our crew, and it literally is a block of wood with a, a sculpted chainsaw spray painted gold. <laughs> oh, I've seen. Yeah, those. you remember sure. that? Yeah, yeah. So we have. I think it's in. That's kind of cheating if one of your guys made it. <laughs> well, he made it. He, yeah, he, I agree. But yeah, somehow we won. So. Yeah, but. Tell me about, this was on the Chronicles of Narnia, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and you were the actual winner of this Oscar. Yes. You accepted the award. True. You were there. I was. So tell me <laughs> about the experience of making a big studio movies yeah. versus the independent stuff you've done, and then this kind of culmination of of acknowledgement of, of what your work is. No, it's, it was, it's very bizarre because I always go like I come from the world of horror like I come from Nightmare on Elm Street and you know these movies and Troll and da 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 and really the film that changed our path was we got called to do this film called Gross Anatomy over oh, at Disney okay and we did these cadavers right and, and um, there were, we did like 16 bodies or whatever and, and that was a Steve Gutenberg movie a Steve, uh, no who was it oh uh, no Matthew Modine oh right right right, right. and Daphne yeah. Zanuga Right, in it. from Fly 2. That's right, yes. yeah, from Fly 2, exactly. <laughs> and uh, it's a kind of a weird movie. It's, it doesn't quite work. But anyhow, there's all these great bodies we built in it. And so we did it for very little, although for us it seemed like a lot of money because later right. on I had heard that Steve Neal and Rick Stratton were bidding on it. And I think they bid something like three hundred and twenty thousand dollars. I think we bid like fifty thousand. You know, so of course they're going to go. <laughs> you didn't it. know anybody. But we thought we were like, this is yeah. great. We have so much money. Yeah. So, but from that... We one one day we got a call to come in and meet on the, about this movie Dances with Wolves right. with Kevin Costner. Right. And and Bob and I went that to the office. That was a big turning point. The big turning point, but we had no idea. I mean, this was a first time director really. I mean, yeah. Kevin was a star, but he had never directed anything let alone a giant western. And Kevin said, "Listen, I saw the stuff you did in Gross Anatomy, so if you can do dead bodies, you can do dead buffaloes, right?" And Bob and I are like, "Yeah, of course." We had no idea what the hell how to do this. We faked it. Yeah. So we went back and we filled Greg in, and we're like, "Okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do?" So these buffaloes were so big, we ended up building sixteen. Somehow, sixteen is always the magic number, but sixteen dead bodies, sixteen buffalo. But we had to do. There were two sequences where they kill the buffalo, and then there's a the sequence where they skin the buffalo. So we. Came up with an idea where we sculpted the buffalo, skinned, and then we made fur suits. So we have one buffalo that could do two different things. It could be furred and then unfurred and all that fun stuff. So we built all these buffaloes. And because our shop was so small, we could only build two at a time. (laughs) So we had storage units all over um, Chatsworth. And luckily, Greg had a uh, convertible El Dorado. Cadillac, <laughs> and that's how we would transport the buffaloes. So we'd finish one buffalo. That's pretty it, classy yeah, transport. Well, I'll tell you. Yeah. Put it put it in Greg's uh, Cadillac, and we drive down the street down to Panga Canyon to storage. Put it in, and then take one of those out. And one time we got stopped by the police because they thought we had a dead buffalo in the back of Greg's <laughs> convertible El Dorado. And uh, I've had, had the police it. come here because a neighbor saw mother oh, yeah. through the window. No, it's funny how a dead body react, here, right? Yeah. They're like, what's going yeah. on? Yeah, I think I took a body out to a car early morning and police showed up with guns drawn. And I'm like, like, you have a body in here? I'm like, I got a whole bunch. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Help yourself. Yeah. If you want any, happy Halloween. <laughs> but um, so we did dances and that was really a big turning point. And 
things started to change and we started to get higher or bigger films, uh, higher profile films that weren't always horror stuff, you know. Um, uh, and then in uh, uh, 2004, yeah, 2004, we had a huge year because Greg did, um, he supervised Sin City with Robert Rodriguez right. and then did Land of the Dead with George Romero. And then I was supervising um, Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. So it was a, a, a I mean, we had, a, we employed 120 people that, that year wow. at K&B, which was like insane. And we had to get a satellite shop for all the, a lot of the Narnia stuff because there wasn't enough room in the main shop. And so time came, Greg went to Toronto to go do George's movie. I went to New Zealand to go do Lion, Witch, and we literally were 12 hours apart. So we would talk every Sunday and he was having, it was a hard show for him hmm. because one, Toronto, winter, mm -hmm. nights. Right. I mean, what, you know, it's horrible. Right. And, and he's working for his <clears throat> ultimate idol, George Romero. Sure. And he who wants gave him it. his first pot. Yeah. Uh, who gave him yeah, uh, first opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. And he doesn't want to disappoint. And he's working so hard. And, and I think that things were just tough for George on that show and, and it made it tough for Greg and, you know, and then I'm having the greatest time. I'm like in Narnia, <laughs> you know. So Sundays would come and we'd talk and he'd be like, I'm just so depressed. This is just, oh. this show's killing me. And I'm like, I'm having a great time in New Zealand. You, you had a studio budget. I yeah. did. I had a, it was a, a massive budget. Yes, yeah, yeah. so I think it's the most money we ever got paid to do something. And and the show went on for over a year, you know, from prep to, wow. to rap. It was it was something like seven or eight months in New Zealand shooting. And wow. It was like 160 days shoot. So we got back from both shows, and and um, you know you never know what's going to happen, and and um, all of a sudden I you know I put the movie forward for the Oscars, and but you know you never know, and then I get a call like, hey, congratulations, you've been nominated for an Academy Award, and then I was like out of my mind, I was happy, I couldn't contain myself because again another childhood dream, you know, and uh, and Greg was really supportive about it, and and uh, um, yeah, it was myself and Tammy Lane who was my key mm -hmm. on the show. And um, it, was a, it was a super magical time. It was a great month, like from the time you get nominated to the time you you go to the Oscars. It's right. Like, it's just a fa it's a weird fantasy land. So tell me about that night. I've only been there once when I was oh. operating R two D two in nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Uh, I was all excited. Like, there's R two. Yeah. Um, it was great. You know, I I really tell you the, truth, the thing I liked the most about the whole thing was the um, the nominee luncheon because because yeah. you're all on the same level. And right. Greg was my date. I took Greg as my date. <laughs> and we sat at a table with Tim Burton, Steven Spielberg. Uh, I think there was uh, like a, a guy who was nominated for Best Short or Documentary. A whole bunch of different people, screenwriter and all, but... Greg and I sitting next to Tim Burton, all we did is talk about famous monsters. Wow. How the whole great. lunch. And 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 then Spielberg would jump in and it's like, oh, I got that issue. <laughs> and, and I was like, great. this is the best part because the thing is, when you go to the luncheon, they you know the president says, you know, right now we're all nominees, so we're all on the everyone's the same. There are no winners and there are no losers. You're all equal. And I'm like, I'm equal, man. So I brought a camera because <laughs> it's before I had you know before cell phones, you know. And I ran around and I took photos with John Williams and wow. Charlize Theron and William Hurt. I was out of my mind. I'm like, this is my opportunity. Yeah. Everyone in here I love. And Steven Spielberg. And um, I took full, full advantage of being a complete idiot running around, <laughs> meeting all my idols. So, But um, that night, was it was great. I mean, we went to the Oscars, and, and they bring you, you know, right before they're ready to do your category, they move you from your cheap seats into the hallway and they're going to move you into closer seats so you can get up there and I'm standing there and I'm standing right across from Nicole Kidman who's really tall. <laughs> I was like, this woman's super tall, you know? And um, looking at her, she's looking at me and she's like, oh, congratulations for your nomination. I'm like, thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, we go sit down and then we're waiting and then they just go and the winner is, you know, Howard Berger, Tammy Lane, and I was like, and, <laughs> and when you're at the luncheon, they say you have one minute to get on stage, say your speech and then they clip you. So Tammy was there, and I grab her, and I'm like, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go, and run up there as fast as we can, do the speech. And then, you know, as we walked off, there was uh, Morgan Freeman there, because he was an, being an announcer, and he went up. And, and uh, our, uh, the people that presented were Will Ferrell and Steve Carell. Oh, and, wow. and they had yeah. made themselves up. Oh, like, I had heard, heard yeah. yeah, I'd heard a precursor, like, you know, Will and Steve are going to do something wacky. 
And we got into the elevator and Steve's like, I'm so sorry about this. You know, you must, this must be disappointing. I said, are you kidding? You guys are the greatest guys in the world. I'm like, I couldn't ask for anybody better than you two. Uh, and then years later, I worked with Will. And, and I was like, Will, you might not remember, but you gave me my Academy Award. He's like, oh, my God, I still feel guilty about how I look. That <laughs> false eyelashes and makeup. But it, it was a great evening. And, and you know, it, it opened. The, that whole night was, you, had a, you were carte blanche. Like, you can go right, anywhere. Right. And I, I went, I wanted to go to, to um, the Vanity Fair. Uh, party at Morton's and yeah. we pulled up in the limo and I was with Tammy and the, the, the security guy goes you guys have tickets and we just hold our Oscars out <laughs> and they went go right ahead come on in you, <laughs> you had a, yeah you have a ticket anywhere ticket. you want yeah. yeah so it was really fun you know and and uh it's something I'll never ever forget and um yeah but you know to me it was it's all gravy because right. my job is and what my interest is is doing the work doing a great job and having a great time yeah, you love what you do, and then this acknowledgement by yeah. the the highest judgment in our industry is phenomenal. It is, and I mean, it's. I think I, it's the same thing that, like, you know, I've, I talked to Billy Corso and I talked to Joel Harlow. We all have that same mindset. It's like, you know, that's awesome, but we don't take a job like, oh, this is my Oscar. This right. is my. Then that's never going to happen. You know, that's I. I do believe that the universe will then cancel you out. You know, there's right. that bad karma that that comes with, and I'm like. We don't think about it, you know, and and when these these events happen and and you don't expect them, you're not thinking about it because you're there to do the job. You know, same as like you know Billy working on the stand. I'm sure he didn't go like, "This is Miami." He's like, "I'm right. going to do the best job for Mick I can on the stand," you know. And, and it and, was amazing. And it yeah. was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is amazing. I love everything in that show, and um, you know that's the attitude, and then you get rewarded. You know, or you, I don't want to say rewarded, it's not the right word, but this you get this special event happens or what have you, and it's just it's it just adds more coolness to it all. And you're like, this is really, really neat. But then the next day, I had to go pick my kids up and I had to do laundry (laughs) and shit, I had to go to grocery store, so nothing really changed, you know. But it did change the perception of KNV, also. And but one of the things that's kind of remarkable about KNV is that even with that perception and doing big studio movies and mm-hmm. winning big awards, Oscars and Emmys, you still tackle every size project. Oh, absolutely. You know, you'll do the little non-union half-million-dollar mm-hmm. horror thriller because it's cool and you right. want to do it and it's for friends. You know, we had a very limited budget on Nightmare Cinema, mm-hmm. but you came in and killed it, <laughs> crushed it, gave us, like, world-class work at a budget we couldn't afford and and but you were there and it's important to us and and that's also what i i feel the success of k&b is is that greg and i if we take a project on we're invested in it right and and to us the most important project is the one we're working on and whatever's in k&b be it 200 million dollar movie be it million dollar movie be it whatever if we take the responsibility of doing the show then we, we take the load of everything. We're involved 100%. We make all the decisions. We, we uh, do our very best to be on set as often as possible. I mean, granted, there's shows where I'm on the whole entire time. Same with Nick Otero. We can't be at every single set, but we're always available. So, like, yeah. I just finished this one movie for Warner Brothers uh, that was months long. And, but I was also doing... Uh, supervising and orchestrating and designing for this Netflix series, and but they had my ear every time, you know. And I and Tammy Lane went up there, up to Toronto to go do it. She's still up there till till Christmas. But you know, it's it's the personal attention, and yeah. it's, and, and it yeah. actually goes back to something you said. And I know I've brought this up to you numerous times. But when we, when we were um uh, when we were shooting um uh, oh my goodness, I just had it in my head. I'm sorry. Desperation. No, not desperation. Masters? No, no, no. Uh, uh, riding the bullet. Riding the bullet. That Good was our God. first yeah, time together. Yeah. Riding yeah. the bullet. The uh, the DP wasn't doing what you had asked, and you said, yeah. "You know, you're, you're underserving me," and I that stayed in my head. It still stays in my head every single day, and I I use it sometimes, which I love, but I use it <laughs> yeah. for myself, and I'm like, I can't underserve these people. Yeah, I yeah. mean, the whole point is working with people who are better than me. You mm-hmm. know. But it, my job as a director mm-hmm. is to give guidance to right. the people who are also working on the film. And I'm not as good a makeup artist as you. <laughs> and and that's been proven many, many times <laughs> over. And so 
if anything, I get overserved by you guys. Ah, well, thank and, you. And, I appreciate that. But it's amazing. And and once we finally started working together, yeah. and that was 2004 on yeah. Riding the Bullet, yeah. um, wow. you know, every time I've had a choice, mm-hmm. you've been my guy. Yeah, and we appreciate that. You've I been my team. That. But I think you get that a lot. You have that with Quentin. You had yeah. that with George. You have that with with yeah, Sam. Sam and you know? all these guys. Yeah, like this giant list on your wall. A lot of those guys, you know. John yeah. Carpenter. We were with John for a million years, with Wes for a million years. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, that, that kept us going, too, is having repeat business. Like, we always knew, you know, Toby's going to do a film this year, and Wes is going to do a film this year, and so forth and so on. But... um but no, it's important to us. And I and I saw, I kept my eye on my competitors back yeah. in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And I saw that they would stop going to set. And I saw that they moved away, let's say, to up north or something. And the shop can run itself. Yeah, they run from a distance. And I've experienced yeah. that yeah, as a filmmaker. That. And, and I've had people who used to do the work start assigning the work. Right. And I don't want that. No. I want to be dealing with the creator, with exactly. the designer, with the guy in charge. You know, and that's and that's what we should be doing. Plus, for me, that's fun. Yeah, like I love going to set. I like working as a makeup artist. I like figuring stuff out. I like being a team member. Like I, one thing Greg and I really fight is we say we're not vendors. Right. We're part of your creative team. And if you need a vendor, you've come to the wrong place. Right. Because we're going to be deep up your ass about <laughs> what we think and how we're going to do stuff and, and uh, you know, keep building and building upon, you know. But Greg and I stay involved with everything. And people think, like, is Greg even part of k and I'm like, are you kidding? Greg is as vo- involved as he ever has been, even more so now, yeah. you know, as I am. And, and we're deep into it. And whenever, if we're not on set, we're at the shop. And I- I'm there every day at 6.30 to 4.30, yeah. except for today when I came over here early. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I, I, first man in, last man out. <laughs> and same with Greg. And because we love it. I love being with the guys. Yeah. I love seeing everybody work. I like to be part of the team, you know. We don't, our, we don't get our hands into the stuff in the, in the shop anymore because we're dealing with so many other things that it takes our attention away. But like you said, why would I sculpt when I have amazing sculptors like Dave Grasso or, you know, Andy Schoenberg or Andy Burkholz, these guys, you know, it doesn't make sense. Like these guys are better than me. So let's have the best guys do the work, you know? Um, Well, one of the best professional experiences of my life was doing Masters of Horror mm -hmm. because everybody, I was able to get these great directors and allow them, set them free, not with a lot of money, but also you and your team were there, and you were there oh, yeah. th- for two seasons. two seasons. You were there yeah. the whole time. and I had so much fun. <laughs> but on every show, you're getting something totally different yeah. and from a really great, totally unique, visionary filmmaker. Yes. And so tell me about that experience and how it would change from show to show. It was great. I loved it. I loved Masters of Horror. and Because uh, it was also, I got to work with friends, yeah. you know, and yeah. like everybody on that list is a friend. Yeah. And it was really, really fun. And... I, the first one we shot was was Dear Woman, right? Was that John. was the first show yeah, for John Landis? Show. Yeah, and which of course Landis is always hilarious. <laughs> always. I fucking love him, and yes. <laughs> I love Landis, and uh, um, yeah, I mean it was great. And every director is is different. I remember having dinner with Don Coscarelli the mm-hmm. night before we were at the Sutton place. Right. And he was nervous because he's like, "Well, you know, I make movies a certain way, and I have all these toys here, but I don't." I don't want to use them. I'm like, you should use them. Like, yeah. step out of your comfort zone and look at all. You've never had, like, a giant crane all for your entire yeah, shoot. Yeah. I said, these guys are giving you all these resources. Which, by the way, that episode, I love that episode. It's great. It's it my favorite badass. thing he's directed. I, yeah, I agree. I, I, I think it's great. But he also came from such an independent world right. that he wasn't used to having such a strict schedule and having to stop yeah. at this time because he could come in and have his indie crew work a couple mm-hmm. extra days for free. We're shooting Union yeah. and all that stuff. And that so was a good it was, a, it was for hard for him, Yes, but he killed it. He killed it. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, I loved it. I mean, every director was so different. Um, you know, Joe always knows what he's going to do. Joe Dante. Yeah, yeah. Joe Dante always yeah. knows. He comes in, he's got a plan, yeah. you know, and, and he's sort of flexible, but, but yet you're going to try to do everything you can to, you know, make Joe happy and everything. And, and Toby, of course, I always loved dealing with Toby because it was, I found it 
easy to just kind of corral him like a, yeah, like hey yeah. toby so you know let's talk about this zombie yeah man let's talk about the zombie i'm like yeah. okay well you know i'm thinking earth tones yeah man earth tones yeah. you know yeah it's yeah. cool man yeah man that's yeah, cool yeah, yeah, and i'm yeah, like yeah, how yeah. about we have her all you know this and this and this rot <laughs> yeah man rot perfect go with it <laughs> and i'm like god i fucking love him so much um but that was a hard episode the one with robert england oh yeah he shot the shit out of it that was rough it was was a grueling grueling episode and he i i I love toby so much but he would say you know i kind of got a little naughty in this one (laughs) (laughs) there was some nudity and sexuality in it which doesn't figure much in toby's movies right uh, no not at all other than space vampires but uh, right uh, well you know matilda Matilda may May, how can you you know pass that off but no it but was that, great it was super creative uh and then you got dario yeah dario yeah. who was i mean like a dream come true yeah i mean and learning a lot about dario how he just had this guilt about all the terrible things he did in his movie because like, yeah. when we, <laughs> yeah. we did oh when when uh, meatloaf is uh skinning yeah, himself, pelts. Yeah, yeah he was like he came to me he's like i have to go say like five hail marys or something yeah because he was so horrified about what they were doing and i'm like <laughs> You know, but and then you have Stuart Gordon, who just no matter what, it's always deep and dark. Really you know, dark. He just goes right for the heart and tears it out and eats it. You know? Yeah, well, it, it, in the black cat. Yeah, he was talking about. Well, we can get a real cat and cut it, and cut its eye yeah. out. And it's like, no, you yeah, can't. Stuart, man. But <laughs> I didn't know how deep his sense of humor went. Oh yeah, and I'm yeah. pretty sure he was joking. Probably. <laughs> yes. A little bit, maybe. I'm, yeah. I don't. Yeah. And then yeah, Larry Cohen, who was you know, God rest his soul. Yeah. He was marvelous. Yeah. He was different than I thought. Yeah, I always thought like, oh, he's probably this hardcore New Yorker kind of jerk. He was so lovely. Oh, so funny! What a funny guy. He what had a been a stand-up guy. comic. In his I loved youth. him. Yeah. I, I mean, all the guys, and then of course Carpenter. Yeah, you know who at, was. I remember he said to one of our producers, um, he said, "Listen, <laughs> I'm tr- I'm tired of you telling me what I can't do. Just tell me what I can do." Yeah, that's all I want. Just tell me what I can do. That's all I need to know. And I did my best to protect him from those people. Oh yeah, they were that, else. yeah, um, yeah. But John was great, and and what you did for pro life, the creature, oh, yeah, that, that was the, cool. The, yeah, the demon creature. Demon. Was that's one of my amazing. favorite things. There's and, a lot of favorite things in in those shows. Like I look back and I'm like, I love that creature. I love the the angel we did for for oh, John's yeah. first yeah. Uh, cigarette burns, cigarette burns, which yeah. had starred Norman Reedus. Norman Reedus, who I you before know, Walking Dead. Before, and I remember Greg's asking me like, "Hey, we're gonna we might cast this guy Norman Reedus. You were you worked with him on Masters? How was he? I'm like, he was cool. Yeah, he was quiet and you know, yeah. but he was he kept to himself. But he was cool. He was, <clears> like, he was yeah, very quiet, and very back. quiet. He never yeah. said a word to anybody. Yeah, yeah. and um. But no, it was a great experience because every director, like you said, had his own vision, you know? Like the one episode we did, I think it was season two with Lucky. Yeah, Lucky McKee. Lucky McKee, and I really liked him a lot. Sick Girl. Sick Girl, yeah. And we did some crazy shit for that. Really? Really Really crazy. And I just... Insect people. (laughs) Yeah, the the one girl, Misty... uh, yeah, Misty Monday. Misty Monday. Yeah. And who turns into a giant bug. And he just yeah. let us go nuts. And I rem- I have one photo of me covered in blood because we did the big <laughs> blood fire extinguishers. Yeah. And I just was in there like, <laughs> and the whole place was soaked in blood. And it was great. But I always felt, at the end of every day, I felt really rewarded. Like I went home tired, but felt like energized because I'm like, we did really good stuff today. Yeah, you know? it was amazing being able to do that day after day after day after day. It was great. You know, and, and to not have anybody telling us, mm-hmm. no, creatively, you have to do this. We have some notes for you. Yeah. Because we our deal with Showtime was such that, you know, yeah, we can do it at this budget, at this schedule, uh, and you're paying so little for a license fee, right. you don't have the right to give yeah, us it, notes. that's perfect. And, I guess that's the trick. And yeah. that worked out great because it was being financed by a DVD company, right. Anchor Bay at that Anchor time. Anchor Bay, right. And uh, there was so much opportunity to do good work and with mm-hmm. filmmakers who had not had that freedom in a long time. Right. You know, Carpenter had pretty much retired until yeah. he did Cigarette Burns. Yeah. And it was just amazing. And, and he had a really good time after, afterwards. He did, which him, is why like, he came I had to, a blast. He, he, he didn't think he was going no, to. No, I know. But uh, when we did the second season, I said, John, we're going to do another season. Yeah. Would you do one? And he said, you know, I think I will. Yeah, that was great. It was amazing. Yeah. And I, I just felt so proud of everybody mm-hmm. on that show. I, I agree. 
I agree. Know, and John McNaughton did a great, fantastic. That was a twisted thing. And I, I had originally the, George Romero was going to direct right. that. That's right. I, remember. I wrote that for George to do, and then Roger Corman. Mm. Uh, it was based on a Clive Barker story, mm-hmm. and I wrote the screenplay trying to make a a Roger Corman Edgar Allan Poe right. movie. Right. And then that didn't work out because Roger said, I don't know if I want to be in the middle of a graveyard at four in the morning <laughs> at, at the age of 80. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, but John McNaughton came in and made oh, it yeah. his. Yeah. yeah. And we built that graveyard on stage. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. It was. But McNaughton was great. <clears throat> he, did, he was really a joy. I had worked with him on The Borrower, but I was working for Kevin Um, Yeager, and I didn't have a great experience, and I don't think he had a good experience with us, because that was an example where he hired Kevin, and I did the set work, Mm. and I think he was very put off that Kevin wasn't there, and Kevin came to set like you know, once or twice, some, some stuff, you know, but he was involved with other things. And yeah, you and, think you're hiring somebody and when somebody else shows up, it's right. like, wait, what's going on? Am I not top priority here? Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, and, and if we do a show and we feel that we will not be able to be on set as much, we always bring the people in to all the meetings that will be. And I'm like, we're going to try to be on set as much as we can. We're juggling a bunch right. of things, but you know, this person, and it's going to be like you know, we got Karen Jackson on Nightmare Cinema, yeah, who's to be there, and she was amazing. Yeah, she's amazing. She was really a, a rock star. Yeah. for us. Yeah, no, I agree. And then, you know, I wish I I wish that stuff would have worked out with David Slade's episode because I yeah. love that episode. Yeah, but um, Vincent Van Dyke did a beautiful job. Really beautiful work. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, it, w- it was great. Yeah, just the timing, sadly. But So what's the most fun for you? Is it the designing? Is it sculpting? Is it hmm. seeing it on the set come alive? Yeah. What, all the what above. Is it for you? I love yeah. it all, man. Yeah. I love I love meeting with the, the creative, the, you know, the director, and and figuring shit out, and then building it. And, ha- and I'm always excited about sending photos or yeah. video and getting the response back and... and uh, it's really odd. Then I love to build it, and then I love to go to set with it. I love being on set. I love helping orchestrate it. I feel like, you know, Greg and I are similar in the sense of our our alpha uh, um, personalities, and we we do come on set and really like, no, you know, I think you want to do this, or let's try this, and not in a pushy way, but you know, we we assert ourselves, and right. it ends up working you know it's not in a pushy way no it's well, good it, i I'm mean glad. it's so collaborative and so because i find I mean, nowadays, it's so much fun well nowadays you sometimes go to set and there's like the confederacy of dunces are on set and i'm like <laughs> yeah this is yep. ridiculous I, mean, I don't want to hear anything you people want to say because you don't know anything right so let us let me deal with the director this is what we're going to talk about you know everyone wants to put your two cents in. everybody wants to lift their leg and leave their yellow stain on it that is for sure that's you know? that's great i like that <laughs> i'm going to tell people to stop pissing all over everything yeah but um, but well, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I love it all. And then when you see it, you're like, that worked really well. You know, it, it was great. You know, um, well, Nicotero and Kurtzman mm-hmm. both took up directing careers. Yes, but not you. No. Do you I'm have smart. any interest in? <laughs> <laughs> this is how I look at it. Yeah. I I. I love doing what I'm do what I do. I think I'm really good at what I do. Oh, I do too. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> and, and I'm good with it. And and Greg Greg is become a super talented director and storyteller. Right. You know, he's got great always had great sense of story. And he's a smart guy. And he's he's uh, alpha and he's great at commanding, you know, troops. He's a great great leader. And and I felt that and it's one of the things that works, be, why Greg and I work so well, is we have different interests. Greg loves zombies. I like zombies, but I don't love zombies. Yeah, I like yeah. this stuff. You know, he likes this stuff. I like this stuff. And we never vie for what it. What do you like better? I, um, I, as I'm getting older, I love the character makeups. Yeah. I love yeah. anything makeup related. Like, I'm not that, I'm not big on like, oh, I want to build a giant creature suit. Right. Yeah. That's okay. You know, I mean, it's fun. You don't want to do the next Godzilla. Yeah. No, no, I don't want to. But... I'll build a Godzilla suit though, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but I love the makeup stuff, you know, because right. I like working with the actors. I love working with the actors, and I like taking the set and taking care of them. And you know, the past eight years, I've been working a lot with Mark uh, Wahlberg. And right. after Lone Survivor, I ended up being Mark's personal. But with that came, it just wasn't doing Mark. It was de- teaching myself to be a department head, which is something that. I think Joel Harlow, Billy Corso, and I are the only three people in the industry that do this, where we'll handle, number one, 
the entire makeup department and all the makeup effects. So right. really production gets one guy who does three jobs and, and it's a big deal. I mean, it's difficult to do because yeah. you're juggling a million, like I'm going to make this girl look beautiful and then I'm going to fuck up Mark Wahlberg over here <laughs> when I'm done. But, uh, um, but I worked on Lone Survivor and Pete Berg really pushed me into being a department head. He's like, no, I'm not hiring somebody to just watch these guys. You're doing it. And after that, I'm like, I'm pretty good at this. And I knew mm -hmm. I was a leader already, but now I really lead the charge. So shows I do, I take care of, I'm, I'm in charge. And that way I don't come in and I'm like working under somebody else or right. well, I'm just here to do the monsters. It's everything. Right. And, and I love it. And but you it. have no interest in doing the yeah. outside of I, I, the makeup. I, yeah, I'm good. I mean, I'll let Greg direct. Let Greg yeah. continue to direct. He's friggin' great at it. Um, you know, I I feel that the stuff we do at K and B, we are producing. You know, and I'm yeah. like, I can, you know, I could produce. I feel, and I've I've thrown my hat in the ring a couple times and what have you. But as far as directing goes, I look at what Greg. Even though Greg makes it seem effortless, and you know this, <laughs> it's hard as hell. Yeah, you know, it's it's not easy. And he sits there and he's like, "I think one time I was pissed with him, and I said, you know, you just get to do whatever you want.'" <laughs> and he went, "Oh, you think so? Huh?" I, and he fights for everything on yeah. set. Like, I want that chair there, and I'm going to tell you why I want that chair there, and I'm going to fight to have that chair there with ten other people. And I'm like, "Okay, I get it, I get it, I get it." And you don't want those fights. I don't need it. Yeah, I I like. I like doing the job and I like being involved with things I love, but I also like to go home and have, you know, have a nice time with my wife, you know? Well, and, you are one of the happiest people I know. Yeah, I'm always happy. Always. <laughs> it's, you know, it's such a pleasure to go on set and here's Howard because he's always, always happy. you know, Charlie Durning was an actor who yes. I loved yes. so much, worked with him a couple of times. He would come on set singing Yeah, and it was just... You couldn't be in a bad mood when Charlie Durning walks on the set, and that's like when Howard's there. Aww. You know, Howard is happy, and he's showing he's he's going. Look at what I've got to show you. What we're going to do here yeah, I'm today? Enthusiastic. It's, it's, and, and it's I, great. But that's also what feeds us. That's what feeds K and B. That's what feeds you know. Greg and I are excited about yeah. like, man, look at this. This is so cool. And it's you quite know? contagious. Yeah, and, and that's great. great. I'm yeah. really I love that. You know, I I've had a couple times where I've had directors who are just not are kind of bummers. Yeah, and I'll be excited, and they're like, "Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever, we can shoot it." And I'm like, you know, and and uh, one is a friend of ours, uh, but um, who doesn't direct that much anymore? Thank goodness. But uh, <laughs> I would be like, "Isn't this cool?" And he's like, mm, "Just another rubber head." And I'm like, "Oh dear." I'm like, "Now you, and now you're gonna believe it's just a rubber head. It's never gonna be yeah. real to you, you know." Well, so. you've made monsters. You've torn apart bodies. Yes. You've you've recreated actual animals and all. Is there anything that you haven't done that you really want to do? Hmm. hmm, that's a good one. I mean, there's people I want to work with. Like, I've never worked with Clint Eastwood, uh -huh. and I would love to. I know I'm never going to get the chance. Hurry up. <laughs> I know. I think his days are directing are running out, but also he's very loyal, and he works with the people he's worked with his entire life. So I don't think that's going to happen. I uh, I like doing big, giant shows. I'm not not saying giant shows that have tons of money. I like shows that have a lot of stuff, and I like to employ a lot of people. Like the show I just finished for Warner Brothers, I ended up hiring over seventy people, seventy makeup artists and hairstylists, and it was great. It was super fun. They were on for like two months, and uh, and I got them all their medical benefits. And to me, that's super important. Like, and I fought the studio. I'm like, I'm bringing these people in for a number of reasons. One, we need to get the work done properly, but. These, um, we're going to help our fellow, you know, fellow brothers and sisters here. Yeah, you, know? you need like the bodies. Tough, yeah, you know, and yeah, and it worked out great. You know, and and I think about that, and so does Greg a lot of the times. And but, um, is there something I, you want to create, like a giant robot or nah, a, anything I, that you? You know, I wanted. To, I've been wanting to do a really great gorilla suit. You know, yeah. just to have one. Yeah. But now, you know, you see the Planet of the Ace movies. I'm like, I'll never use it. The, the digital <laughs> apes are so good. Yeah. You know, I don't know. You know, what? I just want to keep working. And do a great job, and work with great friends like you, and and um, and just enjoy myself. I love going to set. I love going to location. I love sh being on set for everything. I, it's just fun. I really, really, I, you know. And now at at my age, I'm 55, and and this is my 37th year in the industry. Wow. And I can smell what's going to be fun and what's not. And I can go into a meeting, and I'm like. Yeah, it smells bad in here. I'm like, I'm, I'm like, you know what? This isn't for me, but that's cool. Thank you. Know, best of luck. And and uh, but then there's shows. I'm like, oh, this sounds like this is gonna be fun. I really, really want to be a part of it. You know, um, 
But yeah, you know, I if you know, I'm looking forward to your next show because I want to go to <laughs> set too. for it, man. Me too. So let's get a movie to go in again and have well. some fun. Let's go shoot it up in Vancouver. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Howard, it's always so great to see you and Same great here. to finally just have a conversation together. Yeah, like yeah, I know it's been a long time coming. We've been yeah. both so busy and and uh, but no, I appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for your patience. It's and, been great. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, Howard Berger, KNB. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world know about it by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have comments or questions for our Ask Mick Anything shows, send them to producer Joe at Joe Russo Tweets or to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram or Twitter or the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. This is a brand new address, so don't forget it. That's at Mick Garris PM on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to see my vintage and recent video interviews, making of documentaries, and audiobooks of some of my short stories, go to my website, mickgarrisinterviews.com. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes. <laughs>